What's happening in the canine industry? For all the latest news, views and expert opinions, stay right here for the canine paradigm. You'll hear from industry leaders, experts, doyens of the industry, learned colleagues, movers and shakers, and the odd Randy guest. Get the latest insights and expert advice from both here and abroad from the people in the know. Now, here are your hosts, Glenn Cook and Pat Stewart. And I'm Lofty Fulton, and I'm out of here. Hey, Pat. Hello. (laughs) (laughs) If I was to mention to you something like Audi, Porsche, BMW, what would come to mind? German quality engineering. Exactly. Mm. So if I was to say to you, German Shepherds and Dutchies from Germany, what would then come to mind? House Amberg. Why is that? Because probably some of the best German Shepherds and Dutchies on the planet come from House Amberg German Shepherds and Dutchies because you know who breeds those bad boys? Patrick and Alicia Lockett. They're a power couple in the dog breeding, brokering, selling and shipping them all over the world. And they po world as well. Yeah. Yeah. Both they po guys. Yeah. Yeah. They know their shit and they, they breed good dogs and they can ship them to you anywhere in the world. And now a proud sponsor of the canine paradigm. Yep. Mm. So if you're after one of those bad boys, get in touch with them. Yep. House Amberg. House Amberg. House Amberg. Wait, before we fade off into oblivion, we've got to mention their website. Yes. You can get in contact with them at... Wuh, wuh, wuh. <laughs> dot house Amberg Shepherds, and that's H A U S A M B E R G S H E P H E R D S. So it's house like a German house dot com. Wow! Or you can find them on Facebook. Hey, Glenn. Yes. Guess what? What? New Year, new ad. Oh, I like it. I thought you were going to say new year, new you. Nah, I'm still the same shitty version of me. <laughs> you know who's not a shitty version of themselves anymore? Go ahead and tell me. The boof head. The fading boof head? Einz a wiener. Oh, my God. Einswick dog quip. Yes. Jason's only half the man he was uh, a year ago. I know. He's on an amazing journey. But Incredible. he still sells. Amazing equipment. The best equipment you can get in Australia. Yes, he does. If you want dog training equipment. He's the only man to go to. Yep. It turns out it's not just equipment either. He did those cages for my car. I know. they're fucking rad. They are really good. Yeah. He's got a new range of stuff. There's a new line of gear. I think it's called Klim or something like that. Klein. Klein, is it? Yeah, I think Klein. Klein. That's how I read it. Yeah, Klim Klein. Anyway, they make mad stuff. Yeah, really good stuff. Yeah. So I've got to do a little review for him on that, but go and check out his website because he has got one. Yes. Yeah. Ein's a wiener dog quip. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I can't help but say that. Einzweck. E-I-N-Z-W-E-C-K. Yep. Is it? Is that correct? Yeah. Einzweck? Yeah. Einzweck Dog Quip. Check it out. If you're in Australia, that's the only place you should be getting your dog gear from. Yep. None of those other places. That's right. Just go straight to the Buffhead. Yeah. Just say, hey, Buffhead, give us a deal. Now, I know you North Americans mm. are probably just like, God damn. What I about us? I could buy some of that what stuff. What about me? Yeah. So I think if you want treadmills, you can actually still get them through Jason because mm-hmm. he sort of just is the middle guy anyway. And he knows he that. knows who's making the good meals yeah, he and knows who's meals. not. Yep. Mm. But if you want other dog training equipment. Mach le point. Mach le point. Yes. Yeah. It's French for Mark. All around good guy, Canadian. Amazing guy. Mac very, very good man. Yep. yep. And he's got everything. He's like Canine Dynamics has bite training equipment, leashes, tugs, all the normal stuff you'd expect to see. They are dynamic. Yeah. Mm. His website is much better than Jason. (laughs) 
How dare you, sir? (laughs) (laughs) It's a fact, too. I actually was a client of Canon Dynamics before Mm -hmm. we knew MacLapoint. Yes. And the the purchase process was seamless. Yeah. The website's amazing. It's very good. It's very detailed and it's laid out well. And he covers all of North America. Yeah. Which Canada is included in that as well. Well, he's in Canada. Yeah. Kind of dynamics is Canadian. Yes, I know. Yeah. Yeah. He's, so, yeah. he's in Ottawa, isn't he? Uh, something like that. Yeah. No. Anyway, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. He's in North America. If you want dog training And he supports our show. Thank Get you. Get it from there. Thank you, Machler Point. We have one other sponsor. Yes. Melanie Benware. Yep. Kindred Canine. Kindred Canine. Yep. From the train town itself, Ashland, Virginia. Yep. So if you need in-home behavior modification. Yep. She'll come around and look after We did after a whole dog. episode on we did. the way she does it. She yeah. very kindly gave away her whole business model to she everybody. Did. Yep. At so the end of 2020. The homeschool program. If you know someone that needs the homeschool program, yep. get them on to Melody Benware, Kindred yes. Canine. Yep. Or, you know what? what? People should probably, if they want to learn more about homeschool program beyond what she gave away for free on the show. Great idea. They should get in contact with her and yep. she should charge them to teach them about that kind of stuff. Yeah. Mel, we just opened up a whole new revenue stream for you. Absolutely. You're welcome. Welcome back to the Canine Paradigm. I'm your host, Pat Stewart, and I'm joined in studio today by my co-host, Glenn Cook. We've had a spate of people that we've been interviewing lately, so it's really unusual not to hit the Zoom button. We have. Mm. Last one was Jay Humps. Jay Humps. Yeah. (laughs) Did you like the title I made? Yeah, I did. (laughs) Poor her. She does not like that name. But you know what? Because Lauren Fulton was on there and she goes, oh, it's better than my nickname that gave me when they were at conference, which was Bitch Face. (laughs) 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 And uh, as I pointed out to her, I said- it's a problem when Australians don't give you nicknames. Yeah. Nicknames are part of our culture. Yeah. 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 And the shorter and more offensive it seems, probably the more someone likes you. That's right. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, Lauren Fulton's actually a lovely girl. Yeah, well, yeah. resting bitch face. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness. Yeah. Hey, i got a topic. Go for it. So, a few weeks ago, we both got put into Clubhouse, right? Yes. And- we're toying with the idea of starting a canine paradigm section in it. Yep. I've got like five invites now. Maybe we should come up with some kind of deal, like some sort of pay it forward thing in now Facebook where- Yeah, because they're trying to get Australians in. Yeah. yeah. So we need to sort of get more people who like bring our audience in there yep. right, and start a thing in there. We've been discussing that. But so I've been kind of trying to learn it and just see what happens in there and- I somehow it seems that it seems to always happen to me, whether it's Clubhouse or whether it's just my luck, I've somehow fallen into like the positive only dog trainer section of Clubhouse. Hilarious. And so like I'm sitting in on all these things. Mm. For anyone that doesn't know, Clubhouse is like, it's basically a live podcast. It's like, there's nothing to read. It's like people start these rooms and they have these live conversations and yes. you can yeah. just sort it's of- a lecture kind of thing. Yeah. You just mm. sit in on it and you can speak and you, so you can be in the audience or you can be talking, you can ask questions or however the, the mm. admins of the group or the, the, what do they call it? A room or whatever they want to do. Yeah. So yeah, somehow like I've ended up in all these positive only ones and- a couple of weeks ago, there was one that was on the science of punishment, mm-hmm. right? And I was like, oh, I'm interested in that. And the start of it, 
There was this lady, she was saying all these, the fall, it was all about the negative side effects of punishment. Yep. And didn't actually quote any studies. She had a PhD, PhD in behavioral science, which we kept hearing about. And every time anybody asked any questions she didn't agree with, she asked what their qualifications were and reminded everyone that she had a PhD. Well played. Well played. And that was all sweet until I got in there mm. and started quoting actual studies, mm. right? And was and what I essentially said to her was, you know, they were talking about how punishment's bad and people use punishment and blah, 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 right? And I was like, you know, can you point me to a study that has shown the contingent use of punishment causing all the side effects that you've talked about? Because I'm on board. I'm 100% on board that there is evidence that punishment can cause aggression and you can shut a dog down and mm. you can do all kinds of terrible things with punishment. I can do the same with positive reinforcement. But so can lack of punishment. Yeah, and so can positive reinforcement. I can mm. do all those things that you're saying that is the negative side effects of punishment if it's used poorly. Yeah. I can absolutely do that with positive reinforcement, negative punishment, negative reinforcement. I can create any behavior I want, mm. right? Yeah, apparently you can turn orcas into mad killing machines. Exactly. Yeah. But what was interesting then was, you know, I said, and I'm not aware of any studies that have shown the fallout of punishment where the punishment was used in a contingent use, mm. i.e. like used to stop something the way punishment is. Because to my understanding, all of the experiments that showed these negative fallouts and shutting dogs down and causing aggression and suspicious behaviors and all that kind of stuff is the non-contingent use of punishment mm -hmm. where you just put an e-collar on a dog and fry it for no reason. Yep. And the dog can never understand a situation. Yeah, it's lack of clarity. Yeah, he does. He never figures out why it's happening and yep. he never figures out what he can avoid to stop it happening because there is nothing, right? Mm. It's because he's just getting punished intermittently for no reason. Yep. And to my knowledge, the only fucking people doing that are scientists doing that to dogs Experiment. to prove so mm. that they can put that on a mm. piece of paper, right? Anyway, so I sort of was very polite, probably more polite than I am sort of now when I think about it in re retrospect. And I was like, you know, because I'm with you, I will stop using punishment if you can convince me. And one thing that's been really interesting to me, the more I engage with sort of veterinary behavioralists is like, I, I almost I sh I be, should be careful saying this out loud. Like I want to go to uni and sort of study this stuff because I am fascinated by how you can be so convinced of something like what happens in that education with, on the path to becoming a veterinary behavioralist, right? Mm. To have the PhD. How are you so convinced that punishment is so bad and is the worst thing you can do when there's so much evidence that it's not? So what is the piece of evidence that you've seen, right? Like that's what I'm genuinely really curious about because you see a lot of people that will say, you know, and there's famous veterinary behavioralists that are really staunchly force free, some of which, you know, even some here in Sydney that are death before discomfort. Mm. And I'm like, I just need to know what you've seen. Like, what is it? What What is the piece of evidence that you've seen? Because like, I'm using that shit on the daily. And, yeah, but and don't you I think that somebody would actually surface that? Like, if, if it actually existed, like, that would be the bomb that you could drop to end all arguments. Well, I don't know. This is the thing. But, but so, why, would you, why, why would you hold it? Like, well, but you so know, like, it's, I don't believe that there is a gun to anybody's head that they've said, this is a secret society and I can show you, but you can't expose it. Like, if somebody knew that, it would be a fucking, like, yeah, a nuclear- but so Maybe, but maybe it's possible that I don't have the understanding of what they are explaining to me. And, you know, it's 12 years of study as this lady kept fucking telling us mm. to get her PhD. And, you know, maybe she understands things at a much deeper level than I do. But the issue is like, I'm using the evidence that I have yep. at hand, which is reading those same studies, but also 
training dogs every day. Well, that's the, that's the thing. You know, it's one thing to have the academic exposure to it. It's the other to have the pragmatic exposure to it. Yeah. Which you, me, and, you know, like one of the NDTF guys was asking me the other day, said, how many dogs have you actually trained? You know, like we're talking thousands now. When I was doing the board and train and classes and private lessons and stuff, like it's thousands, yeah. absolutely thousands. You know, like I remember this discussion coming up around the whole problem around prong collars, people having concerns and feelings about prong collars. There was a lot of veterinary. But wait, before you go into this, let me okay, let me yeah, keep going yeah, because you, you might be about to go into the territory I want to talk about. Okay. Right? Okay. So this is kind of a tangent in that me explaining that I'm talking to these people and there's the way that this was happening was we're talking about how there's this terrible use by balance trainers. And I want to be clear, I'm about to ship mouth balance trainers as well, right? So I'm not, I'm not, I'm not anti-positive training here, right? So there's this rhetoric that was being spoken about how this is bad and this is the way you use it and it will be bad, right? And then I got in there and was like, well, actually, I that's not been my experience and this is why and this is the mitigating factors. And I do understand and agree with you that that's possible, mm-hmm. but that has not been – that is not the way I do it. And mm. the non-contingent use of punishment, I 100% I'm on board. That's the fucking dumbest thing I've ever heard. But I don't know any dog trainers that do that. There is not a single the only time I've ever heard of anybody using a non-contingent use of punishment, especially with an electric collar, where you just fry the dog for no reason, are scientists trying to prove that those tools are bad. Mm. Right? I've never heard of anybody else doing that. And so I presented that. And then I was cut off, right? And it was like, no, we don't want to talk about that. Maybe me and you can have a private message. Because I said, where's the studies? And she said, oh, well, there was one done recently on a recall where they were training a recall using punishment and it was a contingent use. And I was like, hang on, you can't train a recall using punishment. Like, that's not how punishment works. Mm. We're breaking the fundamental rules here. Like, punishment stops things. It doesn't start things. Yep. Anyway, but I was not allowed to talk. Oh, they put you back in the audience. Well, they just sort of wound me up and didn't answer the question and said that maybe we could discuss it privately. Why is that? Well, that's the thing. Mm. Now, that's the example I'm using. I'm sure that we'll get to another example in a moment where I'll talk about balanced trainers doing the same thing to force-free people. In fact, we certainly can. So we certainly have this in the instance where people will have, say, a long-standing ingrained aggression case, right? And balance trainers will be who are using tools and using the whole spectrum of operant conditioning will say, there's no way you could fix that using just positive reinforcement. And to them, I might say like, well, have you tried that? Because maybe you can, right? And certainly the timeline would be affected Mm. by that for sure, but it's totally possible. Like, have you actually pitched to the owner, this could be fixed, but in six months. And if you haven't, then and and if they go, yeah, I'm down with that. Like we could do this using nothing positive reinforcement. You will have to manage this dog's life to the absolute fucking nth degree. But if you're happy to do that and you consider the dog to have a better life doing this and you're prepared to spend that much money with me, then we can do this within the scope of only using positive reinforcement, maybe some negative punishment, but we can certainly be tools off, hands off with this dog. Mm. And if you haven't pitched that to the owner, and had them potentially agree, and then you actually try it out and test your metal and see whether that's possible with you, then you have no right to say that it can't be done, right? Especially now, if you're a PhD. Well, no, but if you're like what I'm saying is if you're a balance trainer that like is normally you would look at this and go, oh yeah, sweet. This is mm. two weeks. Give me the dog for two weeks and I'll give you back a happy, healthy dog, right? Mm. Well, unless you've pitched to the owner, hey, 
there's a couple of ways we can do this. And one includes no tools, no pressure, nothing like that, but it's a six month process. It's going to cost you $10,000, right? Like you can't say it can't be done because there are people like Michael Shikasio, for example, who's like big in the force free community who does really effectively deal with aggression cases, mm. but on an insanely long timeline. Yep. Right? But he has clients that are happy with that, that are willing to do that mm-hmm. because they're, they're so committed to it yep. and he is effective, right? It, it would be crazy to say he's not effective. That's fine. If it's working and they're getting what they want. That's right. If everyone gets what they want out of it, the dog, the client, the trainer, it's, exactly. it's effective. So. What I've found and what I've been hearing a lot in Clubhouse, and I think that we are guilty of it as balance trainers, certainly I have been guilty of it many times, Mm. as well as, and I'm trying hard not to do this, and as well as lots of other people, is that they're having arguments with avatars. They're having arguments with people who don't exist, right? So what happens is you develop this stereotype of everyone that isn't you, Mm -hmm. right? And so there's this idea of we say, okay, well, veterinary behavioralists all have this, like, they're totally hands-off. They've never fucking trained a dog. All they want to do is prescribe medication. They don't want to use any punishment. They don't want to use any tools. And Mm -hmm. we picture someone in our mind that is a, 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 a compilation of the people that we've interacted with. Yeah. But we maybe forget, like, me and you have both sat in that room out there and listened to Esther Schulk, a veterinary behavioralist, talk about how punishment's fine mm-hmm. and it's effective. Yep. Right? So we regularly, in the dog training industry and in other life, right, Yep. we regularly have these arguments with avatars mm. that just don't exist. Yep. And the we could radically change the way and and increase inclusiveness throughout all spectrums if we just reframed the way that we speak sometimes. Now, take prong collars, for example. When I say, like, if I'm teaching about prong collars, there are things that I want people to know because there are negative side effects, right? Like, I'm making a video at the moment. uh, It's going to have a little clickbaity title, like, prong collars make dogs aggressive. Because I have intentionally made dogs aggressive via a collar. Mm-hmm. It fucking happens. You can do it. And there are people who do it by accident. Mm-hmm. So it's true. Prong collars can make dogs aggressive. Yeah, you can load a dog with a prong collar for I sure. can make a dog anything with a prong collar, mm. right? Like whatever, it's how negative reinforcement works. Exactly. You bring on whatever behavior you want mm. and then you take off the negative reinforcement during the presentation of that behavior. And yep. then that that stimulus, that tool, or a command that you put in front of it yep. will solicit that behavior, mm. right? Now, that could be starting aggression. That could be stopping aggression. Mm-hmm. That could be starting sitting. That could be starting standing. I, I can do it with everything, yep. right? So, what would happen normally, and I caught myself doing this the other day. It's why I want to talk about it, is when I'm sort of scripting what I want to say about prong collars, I will say, there will be people that will tell you that prong collars cause aggression they're wrong because of this. And what I've got to say is prong collars can cause aggression if you use it like this. I don't need to create a fictional person who's Mm. my enemy in that conversation because that fictional person is like a conglomerate of hundreds of people and maybe only in that hundred people, two or three of them actually feel that way. But what I'm doing by, by framing it that way is putting them all in the same basket and I'm creating an us versus them scenario. Mm. Right. And then of course there's division. I'm driving the wedge further. Yep. So I think that any sort of argument with an avatar and that's what happened in clubhouse was they were presenting punishment being this terrible tool as 
this avatar of this dog trainer that just cranks on dogs, right? Now, of course, that happens. There are just shitty dog trainers. And, and I have a picture of that. I have an avatar of a shitty dog trainer in my head, right? He looks like he has a long ponytail and wears a stupid hat. Like, that's the one. But that's not one person. I've created this person from a multiple group of people. I've created this fake character in my mind. And when I think of shitty yank and crank dog trainers, that's the person I think of. Mm. But it's not a real person. It's not real. And so then when I'm like, oh, these fucking yank and crank trainers, there isn't someone mm. because I'll say, oh, they, they do this and they do this and I'll list all these things and no one person probably does that, right? So when I presented the case of like, well, actually, yeah, I'm a balance trainer. I use punishment, but this is how and why I have never seen the things that you're talking about. Or maybe I even was willing to concede, though, that we couldn't consider the, continue the conversation, was prior to being as educated in this as I am now, I certainly have caused ish, all those issues you're talking about, yeah. right? And that's why instead of saying we shouldn't do it, because then you're, you're essentially cutting people off and giving them no outlet. Now, some people- it's an ethics choice, right? Like with all dog training, force free to yank and crank, it's ethics choice. Mm. I think that even imagine the avatar of the worst yank and crank dog trainer that you can make a conglomerate of, right? Imagine that piece of shit that mm. you create. And now imagine the most ridiculous force free person you can create in your mind, the conglomerate of all the stupid shit you've ever heard. Yep. Both of those are probably providing a net positive result to dog training, right? Because there is a market for people who want to yank and crank their dogs to stop behaviors. Mm. And there is a market for people who don't want to ever do anything that could possibly give the dog a negative experience. So there's opportunity for all of them and their net contribution to dogs' lives is overall net positive in so spite in a, of the fact that some of the dumb shit that they do. So in a way, are you saying that every action has an equal or opposite reaction? <laughs> <laughs> Something like that, right? Yeah. And so these people that exist that like imagine now the real people that mm. are on those ends of the spectrum, they exist. Yeah. And when we're talking about like the use of either being force-free or being yank and crank, right, those people are the extremes and mm. they're outside of the mean, right? Like they're not the norm. Yeah. And what I think is within the middle range, there's overwhelmingly more in common than there is opposite, right? Yeah, there is a lot of overlap. But because of tribalism, we just- That's right. We refuse to accept it. The issue with tribalism, and that's kind of where I'm going with it, is mm. that you've created this conglomerate fake character that you're having arguments with. Mm. and. Now you've put together or I've put together in the past and people continue to put together in the future is like there's 10 traits that I don't like about force-free trainers and there's 10 traits that I don't like about balanced trainers. And if I apply all 10 of those traits to every balanced trainer or every force-free trainer, I put them into the tribe of people I can't, I can't talk to, mm. right? But if I look at someone and go, hey, you got like two of the 10, that's okay. <laughs> right? Like your net position is positive for dogs. Yep. Right? Now there'll be dogs you can't help and they'll it typically would be very rare and there'll be owners you can't service. There'll be clients that absolutely will have nothing to do with you. But dog training is a referral-based business, right? Mm. Like if you're a heavy-handed dog trainer and you have success with the dogs, 
You'll attract that. Yeah, Mm. because people will come to you. They'll have a good experience or bad. And if it's bad, they'll leave and go somewhere else. And if it's good, they'll refer you to their friends. And their friends will like, they'll tell, they'll explain the experience. And then Mm. their friends that are likely to want to do that will come to you. Yep. Right. But the issue is, like I said, there are times that all the things that they say are really bad about punishment, negative reinforcement, all those sorts of things. I've done all those things Mm. in the early days before I had a good education around it. And by saying that punishment's just straight bad, well, I'm I'm not – I tried being forced-free. It's just not going to work for me. And the ethics Mm. don't align with me. I'm I'm just not going to do that. I'm not, all right? But if I didn't have the opportunity, if we were silencing – everyone that wants to talk on punishment, which is essentially what happened to me in that room, right? And explain, yeah, I concede these problems, but there's ways to avoid them. Mm. When you don't let me explain the ways to avoid them, then there's no one to educate me 10 years ago who's making those mistakes, Mm. right? And so then more dogs have to suffer and that person then has to learn from their mistakes as they go rather than having learned from my mistakes. Mm. Like I was thinking about it, you know, what is the ethos of our podcast? As we talk more and, you know, fuck knows how many episodes we've done now. What are we in the 167 this is. 167, right? Yep. So like, and as the audience grows exponentially and I'm starting to try and make, you know, better instructional content and all this kind of stuff, right? There's this, I feel this overwhelming need to define why are we doing this? Mm. Why? Why? Yeah, the root cause. Why are we putting out so much of this fucking content? Right. And I think that the reason is like what I want is for someone to be able to listen to our podcast and get better and all the content that I put out Mm. and get better as a dog trainer without having given me any money. Right. Mm. Because what you want is to be slowly seeping better information into the populace. Now, that's not to say that I have the best information, but I'm constantly striving to update and get better at my information. Right. right? Yeah. And what I want is to be adding a net positive to dog training. Mm. And so what would be a net positive for me would be if some of those yank and crank trainers who I still think are in their mind doing the right thing for by the dog have, you know, someone shares something with them, whether they're interested in education or not, or there's enough content out there that it leaks into their mind and they go, oh, I might try this. After I yank and crank the dog into the place and force him to be there for 10 hours, maybe I'll give him a little bit of food, tell him mm. he's been a good boy, right? That would be great for me if that seeps into them. And Even they if they think, change five degrees, they're still going to end up in a different place. Yeah, mm. right? And then maybe some of the people at the back end uh, or the other end, then I shouldn't say back end, the other end yep. of dog training go, you know what? Force free is actually impossible because my dog's wearing a leash and collar and I'm applying force to the dog. So it might not be the worst thing in the world if I just use that collar to guide him into behaviors that he wants instead of letting him fucking stress over there trying to figure out what I want. Isn't it an interesting proposition that you arrive at when you talk about that you don't use any punishment or in this case force in training and yet if you act as a barrier to prevent your dog from going somewhere – and then the dog turns around, comes back to you. You've just applied negative reinforcement. Yeah. And you can't help it. Yeah. To deny that, which people do. They That's have, right. They actively deny it. And I've heard the same discussions that you're talking about on Clubhouse and other forums. You know, like it's not just Clubhouse exclusively. It's been in Facebook. It's been on Instagram. Not so yeah. much on no, Instagram. No, it's everywhere. But-, but I have somehow landed in the positive only section of Clubhouse. I'm trying to expand my network in there. Well, look, I did that the other day and I think I told you my first arrival on Clubhouse when we got invited into it, I went into one of those rooms as well. 
And it was a bunch of ladies talking and it was ladies. It was, there wasn't any guys in the room, but they were literally echo. It was an echo chamber. And the thing that they kept saying was these terrible men with shock collars. Mm. They saw me in the room and they invited me up on the stage. Worst mistake ever. <laughs> <laughs> so they brought me up on stage and they said, oh, hi, Glenn, we'll see you a dog trainer. And by that time I hadn't filled out my bio. So they didn't know who I was or what my MO was. And they said, oh, so, you know, like we're talking about people who train with shock collars. And I said, people? And I said, because when I arrived, it was all men. And I said, you know, let me tell you, there's a lot of ladies that I know who train with remote trainers as well. And one of the ladies says, oh, I noticed that you've changed the language. And I said, yeah, because shock implies that the dog is going to get like an overload of electrical stimulus and therefore the dog is going to have like an aversive reaction to it. And I said, there's evidence to say that that actually doesn't happen. And I said, no, I know like an abundance of ladies who use remote trainers as well. But when you use this type of explanatory language, you're creating a process or a belief in people's mind, like a bias, that when people hear about it, they're thinking, well, this is obviously the worst thing ever. And it's men who are doing it to dogs. So I got kicked out. Yeah. I got put down back in the audience. As soon as I started having, like, I didn't even get to finish what I was talking about because they simply had a line that they were trying to deliver and I was working against that line. Yeah. But I didn't go in there to argue with them. I did the same thing that you did. I, I went in there to present a point, you know, and that's not an argument because I wasn't just simply shutting them down, but I got shut down subsequently for seeding a thought. And I think that it troubles me greatly when you have got somebody who repeatedly tells you that they're a PhD and yet they have a strong bias. Like yeah. they have a strong line that they're defending. When I think of that person, I'm thinking, aren't you supposed to be worldly? Aren't you supposed to be open to all possibilities? Because effectively, you're a certified scientist. Like you've actually got an academic piece of paper and the certification that goes along with it to say, I am a scientist. But somewhere along the line, you're biased. Yeah. But strongly biased. That troubles me less than it fascinates me. Like I am fascinated by that. When someone with that much education mm. straight denies the evidence that you're providing to them, yep. you then have to be like, holy fuck, what's the other evidence that you've seen? Because if this isn't going to tip the scale- well, that fascinates me. That's fascinating because it's like, hey, I've got- you know, I don't know how many dogs I've trained. Like I, I used to keep a training log of all the dogs and I stopped at about the 350 odd mark, right? Yeah. So like more than that, but I have no idea. And the other issue is like, what's the economy of that? Like if you've held, handled the dog for 10 minutes, does that count? Or mm. is it like dog end to end? Who knows, right? So like it's it's a, people throw out these metric about, well, how many dogs have you trained? It's like, fuck, I have no idea, right? And, and what is the definition of training? But I've had my hands on a lot of dogs, right? Yeah. Less than you. So often when people say to me, like, how many dogs have you trained? I say more than most, less than some. Yeah. Right? But when we talk about a number, let's not get hung up on the number because I've trained a lot of dogs. And in some ways, all I did was just got in an echo chamber of doing the same thing over and over. For me now, it's more about the quality of what you're doing, not mm -hmm. the quantity of what you did. Mm -hmm. Because I used to really, and I mean, I know early in the episode, I, I, I mentioned that I've trained thousands of dogs, but I'm more proud of the diversity that I've gathered during the time rather than just cranking out, you know, like dog after dog after dog. Because when you become more exploratory and you listen and you actually become a student to a lot of people, you know, the, the evolution, I guess, for everyone, and you phrased this very nicely before when you were speaking about it, the evolution for everybody should be that you remember and, and are comfortable with being an eternal student, that 
anybody can teach you something and that you need to be open and allow that to happen. And I'm not trying to sound ethereal. I just think that when you do and when you feel very comfortable with the fact I am a student, I can learn something. I learned something from every NDTF course. There's always like Claire Williams that was in there the other day. You know, like she's completely written all the Australian law on on assistance dogs training because she got sick of so much misinformation. She's halfway through her PhD. You know, she's got masters in animal behavior, zoology and everything like that. Like very smart lady. And I was just dumbstruck. Like I'm in the presence of somebody who's really immersed themselves in a specific topic. So in regards to that, you and I always have a phrase, who's the smartest person in the room? You're the teacher. Okay. Mm -hmm. You're the person who's going to teach me something. So put on your student cap and get comfortable sitting down and, and being schooled. Just because I've been in dog training now for 30 years, I'm far from knowing all of it. In fact, there are some fields that I have no right to speak about at all because I don't know anything. I don't have a dog in that race, so to speak. But there are other things that I do know very well. But in combination with other people, I know a lot because of their assistance and help that I've gained. Mm. So I think that's very important. And I like to see, it really is a compliment to see that when you're in a room of learned people that very much are of the opinion, there is a lot more to learn mm. and they drop their guard. And though I think those discussions are so much more powerful and they're so educational because everybody comes away with something. Mm -hmm. There's not a, a winner and a loser. And we had this discussion on a podcast you and I, in one of our episodes some time ago, where you said, I don't really like arguing. I like having a discussion amongst peers or amongst colleagues that we can all come away with thinking that was fucking awesome. Mm. You know, like, look how much we took away from that. Look how much I've grown just from that conversation. I guess there's been a bit, little bit of shit mouthing on some of the things on, on Clubhouse, but there has been some fantastic metrics that I've gained from it as well. You know, some things that I've learned about business social media. There's been things that I've learned about human behavior, just sitting there in rooms and listening to what people have got to say. So there's been some really smart people on them. I mean, social media is like an active minefield. It's just knowing where to step yeah. in order not to create an explosion. And there's been some wonderful conversations and some people that I've really enjoyed getting to know them. They're people who listen to our show. I'd never even engaged with them in any way, shape or form before. And we'll be having a conversation. They say, oh, yeah, we listen to you and Pat, we love your show. Like we're really, we're avid fans. Yeah. That's been interesting because we're active in Facebook. Yeah. And for people who are really active in Facebook, you kind of think that's the whole world. But yes. there's so many other networks of people that don't engage in Facebook at all. So like in our group, I think we were about four or 5,000 people in there. Yep. And so you imagine that to be our listeners. Yeah. But there's- But the, it's not. The, the numbers don't reflect that. Mm. The, the downloads don't, aren't uh, in, insanely higher than that. Yeah. Then when you encounter someone who's not in that group and you're like, I have never heard of you. I yep. have no idea who you are. I have never, and you know me because you've been listening to this, mm. um, but I've never seen your name. I've never seen it come up in any of the forums I'm in. And they're like, oh, I'm not in those forums. I'm on this app. I'm a Reddit guy yep. or I'm a clubhouse person. And you're like, oh, I didn't know you existed. Nice mm. to meet you, right? Like I, I've never seen anything from mm. you, right? And it's because you can, even then, like, again, this is what's funny. It feeds into this tribalism is that like, I'm a Facebook person. Yep. Right? Like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to hang out on Facebook, not Reddit. I, like I don't, I don't, I've never been on Reddit. I don't know what it is, but there's huge communities on there of mm. people that don't like using Facebook. And so we don't get any, remember there was a guy that was trying to convince us to go onto Reddit. And Yeah, and, I tried it and it's very foreign to me. Yeah. And it's not that. 
it doesn't work because it obviously does. And I think it's very much a US well, just, culture. Reddit just sunk a couple of hedge funds. So like, there's yeah. plenty of people in there. Yeah, well, I think Reddit is very much a US cultural yeah, um, right. bulletin board sort of thing. I know Josh Moran is a fan and uses Reddit and he gets on there and chats away or, or reads content on there. But for me, it just it felt like such alien territory that yeah. I just gave up on it. Yeah, that's that's kind of funny, right? Like, mm. And I guess- just to sort of take a step back to what you're saying then is it's conversations that lead to outcomes, not arguments, mm. right? And because what happens, what you regularly find is people are arguing with an avatar. It's not a real person. You're, yep. you're come, And so there is no one person that can say, oh, actually this. And when they do, you go, oh, you're not part of the group that I hate. And you go, no, I am. I'm one of the king dinglings in the group that you hate. <laughs> right? And- King dingling. You, you're misrepresenting my group, <laughs> yeah. right? And the only way to know that is to engage at the individual level, mm-hmm. right? Like you've got to actually talk to me. And then what you often find, and I've been guilty of this in the past and it, I've had it happen to me as well, is where people go, oh, no, you're an outlier. Like I'll discuss it with you and I'll tell you my secrets about how I secretly use bark collars, but you're an outlier to the group. And you're like, no, I'm not. I'm not an outlier to the group. I am just totally representative of the group, mm-hmm. right? you're imagining the group to be the most extreme version of the group, Mm. right? And, you know, without getting into it because we don't want to, but like this is a big part of the issue we see in US politics at the moment and that sort of stuff is people have forgotten that the overwhelming majority of people are right there in the middle, right? But what you're seeing is the extreme ends. And in our world, that's what happens, right? We see the extreme vocal ends of the spectrums. We Mm. see like people who have – who are not dog trainers are marketing at both ends, really. They're, they're marketing people, right? That are extreme force free or extreme yank and crank. And they're telling us like the others are bad and everybody's wrong in between. And then because I'm a balanced trainer, now there's this feeling of like, oh, well, I have to support the guy at the other end because he's our guy. He's the avatar. And I'm like, fuck that. He's not my guy, right? Mm. And there's people as well that then say, oh, like she's not our guy either right like that's not it yeah and And you and i have had so many conversations with those people where they'll say look just so it's known this is not our poster child yeah Mm. and i think that's what we have done many times It, it it's just it's a human condition so it's something that like i'm not saying that i'm above this and i don't do it but i'm actively trying not to is to engage at the individual level mm. and it's seldom like like I've, I've been saying forever especially in the topic of dog training whether you're going to be a balanced trainer or you're a plus r trainer or whatever the logo is right like whether you're prepared to use tools or not is really the delineating question yeah right because it's impossible. Like if you are, say, a plus R trainer and you, you are using negative reinforcement, you are using positive reinforcement, you are using negative punishment at the least, and you probably in some cases are using positive punishment, right, in some mm. circumstances. Whether you want to or not, you probably are. So really – the and, and most of the educated people that we know and engage with acknowledge that. Hey, can They're I just like, question? I don't want to use the tools. Well, you're on a roll. Mm. Is a collar and lead and a harness a tool? Well, this is a thing, right? Yeah, so that it is, of course, right? I know that's a little bit of – Well, but then you talk to people like, say, Jay Jack, mm. who is a balance trainer and is really is a leash and collar guy. Like he's yep. more effective using flat collar yep. than prong collar. And so 
but he's he's on our team, but he uses their tool. Like th- this is the issue of teams. I know. Right? That, and that's the silly part of the conversation because even when I interject that or have had that conversation with people, again, I get the door closed in my face. Yeah. Like it's just the question, and but they're seeing it as a point of aggravation. Like yeah. They're saying you're deliberately trying to aggravate me. But in my mind, I'm not trying to aggravate them. I just want to arrive at a point of consensus together where I'm saying, can we have a discussion around it? You know, but they're thinking, no, you want me to submit. Mm. You want me to fail. And that's what you're trying to do. You're trying to expose me. And I guess there's some truth in that, but not in a devilish sort of way. Like you said before, if they can turn around, they can give me an education and say, okay, Glenn, you've tried to expose a, a point in this conversation let me come back at you with some evidence. And as you said before, if they can give me something that's factually based and not emotively constructed, and that's the trouble I find with a lot of this, this is why I have trouble digesting it, is because a lot of the conversation that comes back from some of these people, not all of them, definitely not all of them, but some of these people is they give me an opinion, not a fact. Mm. Because I have asked that question before. I said, is that your opinion or is that a fact? And they, they'll say, what do you mean? And then automatically the wall comes up and the defensiveness starts. And I'll say, well, is that the way you feel about it or do you have literature or do you have a consensus to support that? Because I need to know. Like if I'm going to change or if you're what you're suggesting to me is a better alternative, then you actually need to give me something tangible that I can take away from this. Because right now it sounds like you don't like it, so therefore you've concluded that that's not the case anymore. And- If you look at a lot of arguments around on the internet, in social media, even in general public, I think that's the problem for a lot of people. And again, referring back to the extremism that you're talking about on either end, that excites people. That's sad that that extremism on both ends, that's the one that gains so much traction is that it seems to wake people up because what's happening in the middle is boring. It's kind of like, uh, you know, everyone's kind of doing that. But the stuff on the ends, you know, where the real fireworks is going on, like that gets my adrenaline going. Mm. Again, I've said this on the podcast oh, probably countless times now, but I still remember as a kid hearing the, the Skyhook singing the horror movie on the, my TV, which is the news. And the news is basically what horrible thing happened in the world today. Because I think if they really spoke about all the wonderful things and all the good stories, people wouldn't watch it anymore. Yeah. There would no there would be no reason to have headliners anymore. That, yeah. Because people would just go, oh, this is boring. Yeah. For us, what we're seeing is that all the savaging that exists on either end of the spectrum, it does excite people. Yeah. Like it's exciting to them. But we pull out and we use the examples that are the failed examples and forget that there's loads of effective examples. I guess that's a good side that comes of it, right, is that even though, you know, those fireworks are happening, I guess the fact that there is something educational about it that does seem to well, there still is a takeaway point from it. Like when the fighting dies down and when all the arguments are sort of subsided, there is some scraps on the table sometimes. And sometimes it does create cognitive thinking, not really cognitive, cognitive dissidence. Yeah. Well, it's the cognitive dissidence is the inability to accept there is an argument well, or, or, or a point about it. That's but, what we face. Yeah. Like say, let's take one example. It's still with say a bit of on-leash aggression to mm. another dog. Yep. Here's an example, right? So from the, like, say, the more positive side of things, people would say you shouldn't use a prong collar, you're going to make it worse, all right? And when they say that, they're imagining 
you putting the dog straight front on to the other dog and cranking on the dog. Yep. And there's only there's only two outcomes there that you either shut the dog down, right? Mm. And it is effective and you then go like, "Look, I did it." And people watching you go, "Yeah, you shut the dog down," right? Or you make the aggression worse because as I said, like, you know, something I harp on kind of all the time and if this is the one piece of information that I can get into the dog training space, I would be very happy is that, you know, I think a lot of the times people, when they intend to use punishment, accidentally use negative reinforcement. And when they're like a pressure that happens within a behavior without altering that behavior becomes an activator of that behavior. So if your dog is bark, lunge, growling, you hit at him with the prong and you don't do so enough that he stops bark, lunge, growling, and then you stop that prong is negative reinforcement to bark, lunge, growl, and you will make it worse. Right? So the dog thinks he turned off the prong by continuing to bark, lunge, growl. And in future, when you prong him, he'll bark, lunge, growl harder. Yep. Right? And now he'll, he'll, his triggers will become you know lighter because he's trying he's learned to escape it and he's trying to avoid it. Mm. Right? So what you're imagining when you say, when I say, yeah, we use like a prong collar in an aggression case all the time. No big deal. Right? Uh, of course I would. Why wouldn't I? Yep. Right? The, you're imagining me just plonking the dog in front of the problem mm. and just cranking on the prong collar until I either make it worse or shut the dog down, right? Yep. And the problem is there are people that do that, right? Yes, now, they're rare, are. but they exist. But overwhelmingly what happens is this space in the middle where I go, yeah, of course I'm going to do it. I'm going to teach the dog to engage with me and I'm going to absent the stimulus. I'm going to teach him how to turn off that prong collar and I'm going to do it like with two fingers, yep. right? That's the level of pressure. And then I'm going to do something that resembles bat, right? I'm going to work proximity to the trigger and I'm going to keep the dog sub-threshold. And the moment the dog fixates and prior to the actual display of aggression, I'm now going to use that tiny little prong collar pressure. It's more of a communication than anything else, but the dog knows it can escalate. The moment he disengages, so he never even gets to display the aggression, but he, you know, the fixating or the change in body language or whatever, that's where I'm going to nag the dog out of that behavior and Mm. then I'm going to reinforce. And that allows me to, you know, get closer quicker. And then when the dog does fixate, I have a way of breaking his staring or, you know, I change, you know, I... I interrupt the behavior. Mm-hmm. I do that via the prong. And it means that the day that I fuck up and go too close, right? And I think the dog can handle, you know, 10 meters to the trigger. And like he was only good for 12 meters to the trigger. When he does react, I can start on that prong and he goes, oh, I know how to stop that. Yeah, I can I have, control it. I have hundreds of times in the past stopped that at a very low level when I didn't care about it by turning and engaging with the handler and then getting positive reinforcement. Mm. Now that I've made a bad choice and I've gone over threshold and maybe I am at the point where I and beyond fixating or, you know, the very intense fixation would be the time I would use it. I can use a prong collar and the dog goes, okay, that's a signal that I can feel and I'm very aware of. I can change my behavior. I turn that off and take the positive reinforcement and I can fix what would have been a bad situation. Mm. So that's what I really do, right? But then the opposite happens, right? So we hear people that say, oh, I can treat aggression like no tools. I can do that same shit without any tools and I can fix dogs that, that are really seriously aggressive, and I can eventually get them to the point where they happily walk past other dogs. And we, on this end, go, oh, fucking bullshit. Not to a real dog, you can't, right? And you go, yeah, but it just takes me a really long time. And I'm really careful. I just never go over threshold. And I do the exact same thing. I just never allow the dog to fixate. And if he does, then I accept that as a step back, mm-hmm. right? And I, I interrupt by, you know, like getting the dog's attention or, you know, calling him. 
And like I'm able to fix the dogs because there's people to do this. Yep. You can look up Michael Shikashio and various other people. He's the name that I'll use, right? Because they do it all the time. It works. And, and but the timeline's just really big. Yeah. Right. And so then you say, oh well, none of my fucking clients will go for that. And you go, yeah, because do. you don't you don't attract those clients. Yeah. But he does. Mm. Right. So like we're having these arguments about the efficacy of things, but you're imagining the worst case scenario when in reality, both work just great mm. and it's an ethics choice yep. and, and really is like your ethics are not my ethics and, and fucking hell, that's a dystopian society where we all share the same ethics and we're all under the thumb in all that way. Yeah, like there's that not, there would be nothing worse than that, right? So ethics is so complicated in that for me, I would rather use the tools and be more efficient and get the dog back to normal life quicker because I think that's more ethical, right? Mm. I'm willing to put the dog through some pain and discomfort so that we can communicate more quickly, more effectively in a short term so that his life gets better quicker, right? But that's my feeling. That's not everyone's feeling. And, and who am I to tell you otherwise? Now, I can explain all the reasons why. And when we as real people have a real conversation, I've never spoken to Michael Shikashio. Maybe we should get him on the show, mm. right? But we can have that conversation. And when he says, well, I don't agree with you, to me, it is more ethical to spend six months, two years, depending on the case, whatever, however long it takes to fix the problem without putting the dog in any discomfort. I'm like, okay. Well, that's your ethics and I'm not in a position to tell you how you, what is ethical to you if you're being effective, right? That's an interesting point. Without any discomfort, I have to cherry pick that point out because that has always intrigued me, that point there. without How can you guarantee no discomfort happens in training? Like if you feel something like enough pressure- is that discomfort? See, this is where we can go into really – we can argue we can with ourselves. get into deep order about this. Well, well, but this is where we can divide and divide and divide and divide. That's and right. We can, we can argue with ourselves over many things. Like yeah. I'm scared of lots of things that are totally psychological. Yeah. Like there's no – there's you can't – you don't have a window into my mind of the things that terrify me, mm. right? And truth be told, you know, like without going into – like any war story, like I've, I've seen the worst things you can possibly imagine. I've mm. been in gunfights, like, like that's who I am. And physical things don't really scare me. I'm terrified of a lot of psychological things yep. and clowns. I hate clowns. <laughs> <laughs> but so like if dogs are capable of similar, then there's no way you can say that I never put that dog into any discomfort because yeah. we don't know what the worst thing that dog can imagine is. That's right. Right. But so like, I think that at some point you have to draw a distinction that whatever sits well with you. And that may not be the best thing for the dog, but at the end of the day, if you're doing what feels best for you, your position, what mm. you contribute to the dog training will be a net positive. It mm. may not be the best, most effective of what you're doing right there and then. And that applies to certainly to people at both ends of the spectrum. But if you're sitting, like, if you're like, hey, I go to bed happy at night and my conscience is clear then chances are you're probably providing good service, mm. right? No matter where, no matter which end of this you're at. It's when you go to bed thinking like, uh, I'm ineffective. <laughs> That's when you got to go, hey, maybe your methods aren't any good and maybe you're too heavy handed or maybe you need to give more clarity to the dog via negative feedback, not just positive feedback, right? There's both. Yeah. I'm going to jump into another clubhouse topic that I heard discussed the other day because it was, again, it was an intriguing concept. But there was a lady in there talking about fear-free dentistry. I don't even like that word fear-free 
because, you know, they, it started to get into the territory of consent and everything. But, you know, when you're talking about knocking a dog unconscious, there's no fucking consent in that. Yeah, yeah. Like you've you've robbed the dog of its ability to do anything. Like you've completely immobilized the dog. And I understand why that needs to happen. Like, don't get me wrong. I'm cool with that. But just don't use trigger words to explain it. Like, you know, you've taken the dog against its will to the vet, knocked it down unconscious because there's no way it would sit still for that procedure, which she did went into the point of saying, I'm not attacking this lady for her her pointers around it. I just think some of the w- phrasing that she used was inaccurate. Well, and But so- I didn't, I chose not to participate in that discussion because I just thought to myself, I, I really don't want to get into this debate with her. And the unfortunate side effect of that would both of us would look like that we're well, that's dragging a great each point other of into the mire. That's a great point of ethics. Now, in some dog training communities and circles, husbandry is something that people focus on right from the start. They start showing the dog about consent and all this kind of like things that they imagine. Mm. But essentially what they're teaching their dog is to handle small amounts of pressure, right? Like they're basically doing box training without the box. When people are, you know, like cutting nails and all that, the dog has to consent. If he wants to leave, he can and all this kind of stuff, right? And to a lot of people in the dog training community, that's really all they do with their dog, right? Because to do that properly is, you know, it's insane amount of time. It can be effective, but Mm. you're, you're just sort of incrementally strengthening the dog, right? You're not really... I don't know that you get having consent from the dog. Who knows, right? Yeah. But we've talked, we've got a whole episode on this. But then, like, there's no way I could say if I have like a husbandry problem with one of my dogs, combine into all the training that they do and things that they enjoy, like high intensity sort of work that they enjoy to do. There's no way within my life and my scope that I could also do all of that crazy husbandry stuff. So the other day, Remy had like goopy eyes. I just pinned him down and put eye drops in him. Yep. Didn't ask him, like, didn't try and turn it into some, like, don't worry, you're in control and don't worry, this leads to whatever. The dog trusts me. We've been, like, through a lot of shit together. We ha- I've never caused him undue stress or suffering that wasn't warranted. And he didn't want those eye drops in, but I just held his eyeball open and put the eye goo in there. How dare you, sir? Yeah, and, like- How but- dare you invade your dog's personal space? But so, to me, this is where we go to it, right? Mm. Like- that is more ethical because he had shit in his eyes and he needed it cleaned out. Imagine blowing that out over a week where it turns into a serious right. infection. But and then you're worried about consent and then you're thinking, fuck, now my dog's going to lose his eye. But the thing is, he wouldn't have lost his eye. I know eye. that's it's a extreme. minor thing. Yeah. But there's a thing. So that's how it sits with me. That's not necessarily how it sits with someone else. And yep. there are, this is what I mean, is there are trainers who will cater to both ends of that market. Mm. And there are people who would contact me and say, hey, I've got an issue with my dog. Can I just pin him down and put shit in his eyes? And you go, yeah, yeah, he'll be right, right? And then they'll do that and it's fine. And then there's people who would contact me and say, hey, I got my dog's got stuff in his eyes. And I go, ah, just hold his eyeballs open and put the shit in there. And they're like, you're a monster. Fuck you. <laughs> right? Well, they need somewhere to go. Yeah. They need someone who will go, okay, this is the deal. We're yeah. going to, first of all, we've got to ask the dog for consent. Yeah. And then we got to do all this kind of bullshit. And like in a week, we're going to have those eye drops in. And to them, they're like, yes, that's what I wanted to hear because that is going to eventually lead to the treatment that my dog needs and we're both going to go to bed happy at night, right? We all need to be placated somehow. Well, not placated. Like, it, 
uh, have our needs met. Mm. That's what, like, because that's the needs of those people. Like some yep. people, they that's the need that they have. Mm. And to others, that's the need that, that I have. Yep. And so, like, I think that it's really important that there's a spectrum of trainers. I do too. Like they're, totally in between. They're better off with somebody that they're comfortable with and speaks the language that they want to communicate in. Otherwise, it's just going to be uncomfortable all around. I mean, I've, look, I've, I've taken on clients before where it's just been an uncomfortable situation. Like I really didn't enjoy the, the session because I just know that what I'm preaching is just not what they want to hear. Yeah. And it's client compliance. If they're, if they're, Mm. when there's nothing worse than when you can see someone smiling and nodding at you and you just know they're like, I can't wait for this fucker mm. to get out of my house. I'm not doing any of this bullshit that he's saying. They're being polite. Yeah. Yeah. They're just, then they are, they're placating you. Yes. And going like, yeah, yeah, like keep talking. I'm not doing any of this bullshit. And second you walk out the door, I'm going to say that dog trainers are ineffective. Yeah. Right. And that dog training doesn't work. And now I'm going to put this fucking dog down. That's a terrible outcome. Yeah. And so, Mm. but what you're better off doing, and I certainly have done this in the past, is when I find that I can't convince people, I'm happy to change tact. Mm. But now like- I've jaded them in far as what I'm saying. So I'm totally happy. Like, Hey, I know the number of some people you can call that they will, they'll play this bullshit with you. Right. Like, and, and you will be, they will be effective. They are effective. Yeah. Just not on the timeline that I am. Mm. Right. And in a different way. And if that's, what's going to fit with you. Cool. Like that's, that's totally up to you. And I think, to sort of go back to what we talk about in the start and you talking about your experience in clubhouse with the horrible men using shock collars Mm. and this arguing with avatars, right? Like, you can paint a picture of me that's terrible, right? Like former special forces, man, like likes fighting, yep. works out. Like you can really paint a fucking horrible picture. But then you can also say like, you know, spends an hour a day meditating, you know, tries to do everything that he can to help people. Like I'm not a character, I'm myself. And yep. what we do is we create these characters and they're avatars mm. of other people. And people are so complex that there's just no way you can apply that template to someone. People are so complex and when you understand their real motives. And we do this. This is what amazes me in the dog industry is that people can look at dogs. There's some so well-educated dog training people and they can look at them and go, oh, man, like you, your circumstances have led you to be this and your genetic the genetic bandwidth in which you have your early life experience and imprinting. And now your circumstances has led you to be this. I'm going to help you, bro. Like I'm going to help you out of this situation and we're going to turn you into something that is more tolerable to society. And we're going to help you through this and blah, blah, blah. And then they look at someone and go, fuck you. (laughs) Fuck you, you horrible. (laughs) And it's like, well, hang on. These are the dice I was rolled. Just like that dog. Yeah. Like how about some compassion? How about fucking helping me out a little bit here? Yeah. Right? Like, I'm willing to change. I may not present that way, but I am because, like, I'm after all a human being that's moldable. Like, I'm a mammal. Like, you can you can control my behavior with certain influences. Mm. I have genetic bandwidth of capability. I have early life experience that's going to really sit with me in a particular way. But if you can present me some good advice as to why I should change, I fucking will. It's like, no, fuck you mm. but then we look at the dog and go you poor baby i will fix you right like it's amazing to me how many people in the dog world cannot pick up everything we know about behavioral science and apply it to the pathology human. all of that mm. and go like oh wait this this works on people too mm. i could just communicate with you a little bit better i think we've said we've talked about this before like not what you were saying but another topic where and i know from my own experiences that i've hated or disliked somebody 
on the presentation from somebody else until I've met them in person. Yeah. And when I've sat down in the room with them, I'm thinking, holy shit, this person is deep water. You know, like they've got a voice. They've got something to say. They're contributing. They're interesting. They're fascinating. They're funny. They're loving. They're caring. They're awesome. Why did I feel that way? Because it was packaged to me in a context from somebody I believed and trusted. And it was infectual. It was their bias that became mine. That's a disheartening thing sometimes. It like happens you, all the time. Yeah, I've been brokenhearted about that and I've thought, oh, you really are a c-. I've had people, this is one of the most shocking things, I've had people sort of say stuff to me about like, it's not necessarily racist stuff, but they'll talk about, say, terrorism related things and, and like people like nudge me and be like, oh, fucking Middle East Afghanis and whatever. Like, you like, dude, you know I speak Pashto, right? Like you don't, you don't just learn that in a vacuum. Like I have- Close Afghani friend. You know, I was embedded with the Afghan army. There's for a whole six culture months. of them that are yeah. steeped in history. And <laughs> but, I was, but I was like, food but, and but a lot of people and, don't know. They mm. imagine that when I was in Afghanistan, we're fighting against with, the Afghan army. It's like, no, we're fighting against the Taliban with the Afghan yes, army. Like I allies. was, I was embedded with the Afghan army for six mm. months. I have friends still that I talk to who are Afghani dudes yeah. who are. Muslims are like all the thing that you think that I would be against because I was in the army. Like, that's not how it works. Mm. I'm against oppression. I don't like people that fucking kill people for the fun of it. But you can't like this template. This is this thing. It's, they create this avatar, right? Oh, well, you were fighting against them. So therefore you must hate them all. And it's like, no, that's not, that's not how it works. Mm. That's not at all how it works. That's not the system. Right, but you you don't know. I think they've got the wrong image from early war, where you were really encouraged to hate your enemy and their culture. Yeah, that's right. Right, like that's it. And the world has really evolved since that time. Like, you know, like we're not a continent that doesn't know, or you know, like that continent used to be steeped in mystery and nobody knew about each other. Like we're talking to people from all over the world now. Like we're interacting with cultures and their history and everything about them. Like. That's part of our new life together. Yeah. I think I should be careful exposing the extreme lefty globalists that I'm becoming, but I'm like, <laughs> I'm not like super proud of where I was born. Like I love this country, but it's just like chance that I was born here. Like it's the same for everybody. Like yeah. that's what really amazes me when people are like, I'm one of these through and through. And you're like, it's chance, man. You were just born there. Like yep. you're a human. And I mean, this is not the counterinsurgency globalist podcast. Like we shouldn't carry on too much about it. But yeah, it, let's it, not just flap our privilege around <laughs> all over the place. <laughs> but but like it, it's interesting because it happens at every level, mm. like huge level where we have this tribalism of like my country versus your country. And it's like, dude, you're born here. Your country's no better than any other. Like you just We're born human beings. One, right? We're, you know, like the day that the aliens come and land on our planet, that's going yeah. that, to change the whole paradigm for everybody. But then it's, you know, like- so I was born here in Sydney. I was born in Paddington. And like, I've got friends that were born in Randwick. And it's like, okay, do we- Should we fight? Do we go into that level? <laughs> yeah, because we're both Sydney boys, right? Fight but like, me. But like, I'm from Paddington and you're from Randwick. Like, yeah. let's, like, that's fucking ridiculous, that's, right? But know, so, so then is that different from being in New South Wales, our state, or Australia, or- But it is. Like, you look at football teams. Yeah. You know, like, people can kick the shit out of each other over their preservation and belovedness 
of a fucking football team. Yeah. But I mean, like, and it's funny because like, this is always an issue when I was in the army is there's this strong rivalry and like, like over competitive nature between SAS and two commando regiment, the two special forces units. Yeah. And people say, ah, there's issues with that. And you're like, not really, mate. The thing is like, if you get any two, you could get one group of alpha males and arbitrarily down any line just cut them in half and say like your group A and your group B, yep. they're going to turn and look at each other and go, fuck you. Yeah, <laughs> right? you the opposition. Like that's just yeah. how we work. Yeah. But so I just think it's really important for us in the dog training world to just not argue with avatars, like mm. have actual conversations with real people. And then when, because it's impossible to not argue with an avatar, you create these things in your mind. But then when you get the opportunity to speak to someone who is from the camp that you're imagining think a particular way, when they don't, investigate whether they're an outlier yep. and be like, hey, are you different or is that actually what everyone else is like? And then you say, oh, dude, I can put you in touch with a bunch of people who feel the same way as me, right? Yep. Like I, it's this is how we feel. You're imagining that we're this. And I'm working hard at that. And I think on the podcast we do that. You know, we've had people on, Denise Fenzi, Sarah Bruski, you know, that are people who say, like, I don't use those tools and I'm an effective and dog And people trainer. of substance. Yeah, and mm. we go, oh, cool. Like, how do you do it? I'm interested in those parts of that. Educate and then, me. I'm your student. Yeah. Yeah. For and this for this next hour, I'm the student. Yeah. And one show of the things, how. like one of the things Sarah said when she was on the show was like the way she teaches a send away is a market or run because she uses a popper thing that throws a ball over the top of the dog's head. I was like, oh, I've never heard of that. Yep. Oh, that's cool. Mm. I've, I've, I'll I, use that if it works. Yeah. I was yeah. like, if I'm presented with the opportunity, that's how I'll do that. I think that's a great idea. There's three words. I tell everybody if they care to listen, which will change your life radically if you apply it, use what works. Yeah. It's the three words of success in anything you do across the spectrum of your life. Use what works. Yeah. Because I have people that come to me all the time about dog training advice and they'll say, Glenn, you said this, but I did this and it worked. And I'll say, use it. There is no more argument from me. If you find that that is a more effective system for you and your dog, or that person has shown you a, you know, a bolt on that's working better for you and you don't use it, you're crazy. Because that's really going to give you the outcome that you so desire. Use what works. Yeah. It's the, the best three words. You know, we were talking about food, the ex existential food the other day. And somebody said, you know, like I've tried this kibble, but, you know, like I tried this diced up roll the other day and it went, sent my dog through the moon and I had great success. And I said, so are you using it? And they said, well, no, because I've got told I needed to use kibble. And I said, okay, fair enough. Yeah. Leave it at that. So like there's nuances to that. That's one of the issue. That's one of the really interesting things that I think we can investigate further and, you know, explain to people is that there's usually bigger reasons why things work than what people understand mm. and what they explain. Take, for example, like teaching at a seminar. This is one of the reasons I started doing the deep dive things that we put into Patreon and is in my online course and that kind of stuff is because- you just can't hold someone's attention for at a seminar where they want to see dogs get worked. Yeah. You just can't hold their attention for an hour as you explain to them, say, like why existential foods within the closed system of using that food, right? Mm. Like they typically 
maybe in a group of a hundred people, five or six of them are captivated by that. And no matter how good a storyteller you are, you're not going to be able to get the full thing across. And that's why I did those deep dives is because, okay, like commit the hour when you have it, listen to it in the car, whatever. And that's why people will listen to this podcast without and get really good information from it because they Mm. can say like, all right, I'll give you this hour what like for my ears and a a tenth of my brain while I'm operating this car and stuff. But when they're in a live event, they're like, no, get to the dog work. I want to see the exciting parts, right? And you go, yeah, yeah. But in order for when you hear me say train with existential food, the food the dog would eat to live, that is then hard to explain. Well, that gives you choices mm. now. That gives me the opportunity to not feed the dog and have that be a significant event. And I can stop sessions and I can pay in certain ways that would change it. And if you never, it, that would make that more efficacy, right? Increase the efficacy of having trained with that. But what's interesting then is if you never intend to train in that way, you don't need it, mm. right? And so you would then say, Oh, cool. Like the, one of the reasons I would train with existential food, especially with a young dog is I don't, I'm not at a point where I'm going to use any tools. So I want not feeding the dog or him checking out to be a significant event, but later I'm just going to force him back in. Right. So there's nothing wrong with existential food because primarily it all is, but the thing is, is that it's their understanding of it. Yeah. So Mm. like if I'm at the point then where I go, okay, well, I'm going to start like myself now. I don't like my dogs eat from bowl free every day, right? Mm. No matter what they do, they could fucking bite me and I'll still feed them. Yep. Just how it goes. Because we're at the point where I'm trading with the toys and the game and all that kind of stuff. Mm. But the reason we made that step is because now I'm using tools on those dogs. So if mid session, my dog goes, nah, beat it. Like, fuck you, I'm going to go chase birds. I can go, no, fuck you. You're not chasing birds. Like I'm going to stop you doing that. And via the tools of reinforcement that you already understand, I'm going to compel you back to here and we're going to, you are doing what I asked you to do. Mm. And then I'll pay you with those birds. Maybe not this ball that like you've, you've shown me you don't want, right? But I have a way of stopping you and bringing you back because you're old enough to handle that and I know I've taught it to you. Mm. But if you give me your dog today, like he doesn't know those things and so I can't do that to him. So my only way of being effective is to use the food that he wants so that if he checks out later, he feels a consequence for that. And in the next session, he's less likely to check out because that has built up the pressure. So are you telling me- that withholding food causes discomfort enough for the dog to change its mind about a behavior? Well, it could, but this is the thing. So this is the thing as well. Like now people, like people would Damn. listen and go, oh, well, that's the magic <laughs> bullet, right? Like oh, I just do that. And you go, well, no, some dogs, that's not a really, mm. so So the dog's got terrible food drive, right? And you go, oh, well, just like withhold food until the food drive increases. Well, that doesn't always come. Mm. Like you see some working Kelpies, like Katrina once told me that her like main stock dog, Marco, she almost has to beg him to eat. Like yep. he just has no interest in he he eats the fucking minimum to survive. And there's one just, of he's one of thousands. Yeah, yeah, because that is like it's not a, a trait that was selected for. In fact, yep. in a working stock dog, they select for terrible food drive mm. because they don't want like the dog finding a dead animal or something in the work to be distracting. Yeah. Like it's if you're if you're finding food on the ground, if you have no food drive, that is not distracting to the work mm. when the work is pushing sheep around, right? So the advice that we would then say like, oh, well, starve that fucker out. It's like, well, he will happily starve to death. Mm. It's not something like you're imagining yourself. You know, Like humans are typically fairly balanced creatures, right? Because we're not selecting for ex- extremes in genetic traits, mm. typically, right? And so we, you're imagining like, oh, well, if I didn't feed a person, eventually they'll come around to that. And with some dogs, that's the case. And with most dogs, that's the case. But it's not with all. And so by saying- 
I guarantee you this will happen with existential food. You're like, well, how much experience do you have with stock dogs that has been selectively uh, bred for the last 200 years to show almost no food drive, to mm. barely eat enough to stay alive, and that's their own happy choice. How are you going to train that fucker with your existential food? Oh, you're not? Okay, well, now we're going into a whole other category. So that's what I mean is like that the avatar of someone who trains with existential food, we're like, oh, well, you do this because of that. And it's like, well, it's more complex than that. Like there's real reasons and, mm. and we can uncover that. And if those reasons don't apply to the training of this dog, then I'm not going to do that. Right. And like the whole point of in say the way that we would teach it is if with a young dog and you're training with existential food is that it's a consequence. So I have a strong consequence for the dog making a decision that I, that I'm going to show him that was a bad decision. That's how I show him. Let right? me just ask you the question. Cause there's a lot of confusion around it. What is the actual substance of existential food? Well, I mean, again, there's not like you can look that up in the dictionary, but I would say it's instead of the dog doesn't get fed at meal times away from the training. Yes, but it's not just kibble. No, it's whatever you want to feed the dog. Right. That's the confusion around it that people are having because they've taken away an incorrect interpretation of it. Yeah, no, it could be anything. That's right. And that's the problem that people are coming back to me. They're saying, when I'm doing this existential feeding, I have to feed a kibble. And I said, who said that? And they're going, well, isn't that what it is? I said, existential food is anything that you're using for mealtime. I mean, really, it just means there is no mealtime. Right? Yeah, that's right. It's, it's like feeding there's training the time. Yeah. There's training time and no mealtime. Yeah. And for some people, like Ivan in his course talks about, like, doesn't really do it, mm. right? Doesn't really train food. Yeah. And then, like, you could do two courses, but super high-level dog trainer says, yeah, that's really important. You train trains with a lot of food mm. and is incredibly successful. And then Ivan goes, no, I don't really do that and is incredibly successful. Doesn't right? that so, come back to use what works? Exactly. But yeah. use what works within how you want to train. Right. Right. To get and, the outcome that you desire as long as you can see it moving in a positive direction. That's right. And yeah. understanding like what is the real reason for this, not mm. just because Bart says so or Ivan says so. Yeah. Why do they say so? Because mm. they know and they're going to teach it to you, but don't just read the headline. Yeah. Right. I'm glad like, we had this discussion because the whole existential food, for some reason, people thought it was feeding a kibble. No. And, and I'm saying, whoever said that? Like, I've never, ever heard that interpretation. Like, you can use raw if you're feeding raw, if you're smart enough to work out a way to give it to the dog. I mean- It's just the handling and management of it. Yeah, that but makes there's plenty of people that do that. It's of easy. Course. But so, you know, to me, I think that if I'm going to say- what is existential food? I would just say that that is where the withholding of food mm. is a consequence for whatever you're training within, yep. right? And there's reasons you could do this. In fact, I just put a thing on YouTube about it recently, like a that was me explaining to a guy on a Zoom lesson that like withholding food is often thought as negative punishment, right? Mm. Like I'm withholding something you want, but I would never do that because if the dog wanted it, he's going to be doing the jobs to earn it. So yep. it's negative reinforcement. I'm like, it's not that I'm taking away something that he wants for something to be negative punishment. It's got to be something that the dog wants or has. Mm -hmm. Right. Whereas if I, if the dog knows that food's available and he's like, beat it, I'm going to chase these birds. And I go, well, now you're not getting the food. That That's like, he never wanted the food. Mm. That's not punishment. It's only when the dog wants the food and you deliberately withhold it and yeah. find it, but it becomes a negative punishment. In fact, it's very rare that anybody you withholds food and it is negative punishment mm. because that I've actually never seen anyone do that. Mm. I've never seen anyone where the dog is actively trying to earn the food and trying to solve the puzzle and is doing whatever you want, engaging, mm. and then you go, nope, none for you. I've never seen that. 
It, but that's the explanation that certain positive trainers give. Yeah, and but that's the thing. So, so like, what they talk about withholding and sin binning as part of the negative punishment cycle. Yeah. So you know, I can probably uh, well, I did post it in our group. People can find it, or you can search my name on YouTube. Get my get my view. Get my watch hours up. Yep. But I had an all a whole explanation of that, and then some dude gets in there and is like, "All this analysis is pointless," and it's like, "Yeah." Is it? <laughs> Is it? <laughs> but like, it depends on whether you want to be effective or not. Like, mm. if you're not if you're not interested in being effective, all this analysis is pointless, right? But if you really want to be effective and maximally effective, mm. because there's there's degrees of effectiveness. There's effective today, and there's effective in two weeks, right? And I want to be effective today, and so like that analysis is very important to me. Mm. If my dog is, if I'm training with food, and my dog checks out of the session because he's more interested in sniffing the ground. Then when I go like, oh, well, that's it, it's over, that is not negative punishment mm. if I allow him to continue sniffing the ground. It is not negative punishment because I took the food away. He didn't want my food. It is negative punishment if I drag him off of being able to sniff the ground and put him away. Yeah. Right? And now am I going to wait until he's hungry and do I need to wait until tomorrow? And then that would be negative reinforcement because I'm building the pressure of hunger or is it that I'm going to consider now him sniffing the ground, my reinforcer, and negative punishment, just taking him away for five minutes, giving him another opportunity, and then he imagine he sniffs it again. People go, see, it didn't work. And you go, well, that's how punishment works. He's got to now, I've got to do it again. And mm. the dog goes, oh, like after three or maybe even a fourth repetition, the dog goes, oh, leaving the session, the training, trying like stopping trying to solve the puzzle or doing what I'm told to smell the ground is leading to a total loss of everything. I won't do that again. And then I will continue to get other things and he will release me and let me have that means that in that same session, I can make steps forward, right? Like mm. my dog learns something. Whereas if I just go, no, you didn't want the food, I'm putting you away. Now he never got an opportunity. Like, yeah, we did negatively punish him because we took him away from the smell that he wanted to smell. But unless he gets an opportunity to test whether that is what caused the session to end, we're just relying on him being hungrier next time. Right, which mm. is negative reinforcement. So it's like it's complex, and of course, it, yes, it is complex. And I was just going to add on top of that is, and we've mentioned this before, but like we've had discussions around this sort of topic before. But the interesting point is, and as a sideline caveat, I know that we can measure it in outcomes, but it's still based on our interpretation of it. Yeah, that's right. That's and right. that's the difficult part is because where you know, like Esther says, it doesn't matter what you think and feels; it matters what the dog thinks and feels. Which ultimately, you know, like every time I'm doing a session, I'm out there with a dog, I'm pressing my fucking temples because I'm thinking, okay, I have an interpretation on this. This is what I'm thinking based on the outcome that I'm seeing. But is it really what the dog's thinking? Yeah, that's right. And and all we can do is try and measure it by the outcomes that we get. Yeah, and, and it's it's metrics. It's based on best outcomes. Yeah, and so by, you know, again, just one example that I'm giving, like there is much we can talk about this. Yeah. And it's interesting conversations that we can have. And so long as we don't bring any bias to it, because I could give a fuck whether I use negative reinforcement, negative punishment, positive punishment, positive reinforcement. I, I could care give about the shits. result. Yeah, I results. could give a fuck. The mm. only reason I am so well- uh, you know, use that language is so that we can communicate, yes. right? And we can talk about it. But in yep. the moment, all I'm trying to do is figure out 
what is going to be the most efficient thing to training this dog and have yep. the dog understand what I want the quickest, right? And, you know, keeping within that, what I should always point out is keeping within that, that the attitude of the dog is important to me. Like I don't want a dog that does it flat, right? Yep. I want a dog that does it happy. And, you know, maybe I'm willing to concede that dogs can fake looking happy because they know that's what I want and it will lead to reinforcement and inside they're fucking hope wishing they were dead and that they're outwardly showing that. Maybe, but like, I can't tell that exactly as you just said, like all we can work off is what we see. Mm. And for the moment, that's the best we can do. Right. Um, but so understanding that kind of stuff is really important because it changes. Like I said, with this guy that then says in the comment, like all this analysis is pointless. It's like, well, it's not because mm. it means that I can stop the session and go like, okay, am I going to continue in five minutes or am I continuing tomorrow? And that's a big fucking difference. Yep. Like that is a, that is a huge difference because yes. that like, what else am I doing with a dog for the rest of the day? <laughs> right. Yeah. Like that radically alters everything I'm going to do with the dog from that point in the dog's life for the rest of his training. That mm. radically alters everything. I'm, I'm on a branch, like I've, I'm at a decision tree where I've got to go left or right. Mm. And that's radically going to change. That's going to put the dog on a different course every time. And when people are like, Oh, it doesn't matter. You just do this. And it's like, it does well, matter. It does matter a lot. Mm. Right? Like it, it matters a lot. Yeah. The outcome is definitely yeah. definable. The difference could be I teach the behavior today or in two weeks. Mm. Like that could be the difference. Yep. Right? Switching back to human behavior. And I'm going to go back to Clubhouse. Yeah. Okay. Now there are certain rooms that are on there. Where Have you noticed how everyone's a really polite in Clubhouse? I was just, <laughs> mate, I'm just, this is the whole thing that I'm just going to base my point on. It's very frustrating for me to go into some of these rooms where I want to get to the point or the meat of the conversation. Yet I find that let's say for example, the room or the conversation is based on an hour time frame. 45 minutes of that can be people coming in and doing these introductions, which just goes very ethereal, you know, like they'll come into the room and they'll go, Oh, hi, everybody. Thanks for bringing me up onto the stage. I'm so grateful for being here. I'm really vibing with everybody right now. Thank you, Sue. I love your avatar. You're so beautiful. I'm just feeling so good about the room right now. Like this conversation is really transformative and it's taken me to a whole plane of existence today. You know, like I'm, I'm feeling the spiritual energy of the room. Like that's nice. And I'm glad you feel that way. Like that's really nice. But- everybody fucking does it. <laughs> and it takes like there's 15 minutes left of the conversation because everybody wants to come in and do. And then you kind of feel like, Oh God, if I just get up on the stage and go, g'day, I'm from Australia. Yeah. You know, like, there you go, there you go, mate. You kind of feel like if that's what I do, then people are going to go, Oh, listen to this fucking bummer. Yeah. You know, just got up into the stage and fumbled his way through it. Didn't yeah. even do all the, the pretty didn't even walk around the room and jerk everyone off yeah, before he had something to say. Didn't join the circle jerk. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate you guys if you're listening to this because I know people in Clubhouse do listen to us, and I'm not trying. No, to- it's just a culture within the platform. Like it's really interesting because you look at YouTube comments, people are fucking assholes, and yes. Clubhouse people are really nice. It's and because the they're talking people. to each other, not yeah. writing to each other. So you kind of, if you offend someone, you feel it. Yes, that's right. And tone and inflection. Like it's very easy to interpret written conversation any way you want it. Like you can play that out in your head. The way people speak to you and the dialogue they use and the inflection that they use is very real. Like if you curse somebody out in Australia and you're kind of laughing about it, people go, oh, this is part of the joke. I'm in the culture. I'm in the- I'm in on this. I'm in on this. But if you say it with, you know, like an apostrophe at the end and it's sharp, 
you know that that's the- yeah. Like I can say, "Oh fuck you," yeah. or I can say, "Fuck you." Yeah, uh, like it reads the it same. De- read, yeah, well, it's the same word, but it's different. It, like it's it's inferred differently, and I think that's why people are so polite on Clubhouse. And it's new, you know, and people sort of they don't want to get kicked out of the room, and yeah. you know. But and like I said, I know that it's nice that people are polite and they are using language in the rooms but it's just don't soak up so much time going on about the energy and the vibe and so forth come in say thanks and then get on with the subject matter because it's disappointing when there's something really good to talk about and we run out of time yeah and i'm thinking i just got into this conversation and it's awesome and i'm really and it's not me talking it's listening to other people but i'm just thinking this conversation really had traction like it was really going somewhere yeah. and then oh we've run out of time we'll you know we'll be back next week and we'll talk more about it and then you've got to come back next week and listen to people go through the whole introduction again yeah so <laughs> it reminds me of um <laughs> so there was this thing i should probably choose my words carefully cuz i I know that's going to offend people because they're going. To, people in in Clubhouse are going to hear this and they're going to go. No, but uh, that's just the culture in the rooms. Like it's just the way the platform has developed. Like, yeah. and that's how people are going to stick with it. It's going to stay the same because that's how you mirror the people that you. Well, you if see. I'm hosting a room, we're not doing that. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, let's let's start. We need to do it. We need to start. Yeah. The room. So Pat and I have spoken about this early on in the Clubhouse app scene, we sort of had a look around and we thought we really need to do our own so we can talk about a few more inclusive and different subject matter, especially in dog behavior and training and so forth. So we will advocate for a room and hopefully we get accepted in it where we can really, you know. We we should also thank George who put us in. Yes, George. George. Yeah. And George is a great conversationalist too. Like he has something to say. There's another guy, Matt Hubble, that I've really been enjoying speaking to as well. You know, these people, again. Do you do the pleasantries before you speak to him? No, I don't really have to. <laughs> we, we kind of know each other now and it's just like there's a few people in there, another girl called Samantha that I've been chatting with and sometimes the conversations don't even result in dog training. It's just people enjoying each other's company yeah. and having a good conversation about things that like – It's Samantha, cool. I mean, we're, we're shit-mouthing it a bit, but it's a, it is a good app. It, it is. is. It's a great app and it has a lot of potential. Like the other day, Samantha and Matt were in a room called uh, which Samantha started of called roasting room or something like that where you just come in and you say a funny insult about everybody and it was hilarious really it was hilarious people were being politely roasting each other there was matt hubble he's a young good-looking guy with his dog and there was me and they they said matt and glenn your pictures look like a before and after shot of <laughs> <laughs> or they were saying, you know, Glenn looks like Matt's father or something. <laughs> and, and honestly, oh, before and after shot. Yeah. I've heard that a few times from people. That is, there is nothing more scathing when you get told you look like an after shot. Well, look, mm. to be honest, I'm 50 years old. You know, I've survived this industry for 30 years. I didn't give a fuck anymore. I've let myself go. I don't. <laughs> I'm a survivor in this industry. A lot of people have been in here for five minutes and they crash and die. Yeah, you know, yeah. like I'm a, I'm still a fucking rising star, son. <laughs> <laughs> Just tell me about it. Uh, I was going to say before, something that's interesting for dog trainers, Clubhouse and this thing are very similar is when I first, I was actually still in the army when I did it, which you can join this thing called BNI, Business Networking International, yep. right? And they're these small business groups. And and I've spoken to some dog trainers that are in them. And the way it works is it's a referral network, right? Yep. And you join it and there's a plumber and there's an electrician and there's a lawyer and there's a property agent and all these things, but there's only one of each. Yep. 
occupation. And then like when it's full, like if you're a dog trainer and there's already a dog trainer in it, you can't join. You have to find a different chapter and it's a referral network. And it's really like, honestly, I'm made a fortune from it, right? Yep. Like you, it's great. And, and when you're starting out, which is what, like when I left the army, that's how I started in it. Yep. You make a killing because every, like you're an easy referral and it, mm. it works off of this social clout. But at the meetings, the back end of it is really good. Like you have all these people and it just means that you can like you as a dog trainer, you can be in someone's home and mm. they're like, oh, you know, bloody fridge needs fixing or whatever. And you can be like, oh, I know a guy. Right. And then your actual interactions with people in the group outside of the group meetings are very normal and really good. Right. But the meetings are theater. Right. Like it yep. is. <laughs> It's it's theater of like, because you have these guests there, right? And yeah. it's the whole thing is to, if the guest is new and is like able to join your chapter, you're trying to get them to join. And if they're not able to join, then you're trying to bring in business from them, right? Yeah. And so it's theater. Everybody gets up and has a speech about what they do. And then they, they do this thing where you go around the room and you have to talk about how much money you made that week from referrals from the room. Right. And it's not necessarily about money, but it's about referrals as well. But you do mention the money and it's like, yep. I gave this week, I referred three people to Tom, Dick and Harry, and I received eight referrals from these people. And that resulted in my business making four grand this week. Right. Yep. And it, it's theater for the, the guests. But it reminds me a lot of that tough house because like you would see someone and say the photographer who was in mine was a really nice guy. And so I'd see him on the street. I'd be like, Hey Mike, how you going? Yeah. Good to see you. But in the room, it's like, Oh, Michael, so good to see you. How is like, it's just this whole bullshit. Yeah. There's a thing. So it actually, if you're listening and you're thinking about, yeah, like you're building your business, they're a great way to build your business, yep. but it's a cult. Yeah. Like, <laughs> You can't speak against the higher ups. And if like me, you leave spectacularly and use it. So what happens is each week a person does their, everybody does like a 45 second pitch yep. and then a person gets 10 minutes. If like me, you've reached your capacity for being within the cult and you use your 10 minutes to tell them what's wrong with the cult, you will be kicked out. Right. <laughs> <laughs> As is that what happened to me. Jeez, that doesn't sound like you, Mr. Patrick Stewart. <laughs> But um, but one, definitely worthwhile joining. Just need to one more thing about the clubhouse. Jeez, the clubhouse podcast. Well, it is the clubhouse podcast, really, in a in a way, because this is really relevant to the arguing with the avatar title that you came up with. Mm -hmm. One of the things that I do find is it is a minefield in some of the rooms that you go into. Like some of them are incredibly fake with some very pretentious people yeah. who are just in there for literally vanity metrics. It's probably a successful way of doing it, but, you know, the information is shit. The room is just putrid nonsense just being regurgitated throughout the room, whereas some of them are absolutely fantastic. Like there have been rooms that I've listened to. The generosity of the people speaking in the room is unfounded. The information that they're providing, their depth of knowledge, their research is just incredible. And I'm really appreciative of being a student in some of their rooms because there's rooms where there's like 900 people in there listening to four or five people talking, but they're at the top of the fucking mountain. Yeah. I mean, I was listening to one with Gary Vernachuk the other day that was like fucking great. Yeah. He was like dropping knowledge bombs. Who's Gary Vernachuk? He's like a motivational sort of guy, business coach. Yeah. Gary V. You, yep. You've surely seen some of his stuff. I probably have. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, before I do a wrap up then- mm. Let's put it out there. What are we going to do about this? Like, how are we going to get how are we going to get our audience in there? 
I'll send the clubhouse people the deets and get it started. Mm. And then uh, we'll just keep people across our social media. But like a lot of people listening probably aren't in there because it's invite only, right? It's invite only and it's also iPhone only currently. So if you're Android, you're out, <laughs> you out of the tribe. You are. Because I sent it to Panos the other day, the sleeping boy, and he's really excited about it. And he messaged me last night, goes, oh, bro, it's iPhone only. It's not on the Android platform. Yep. And he goes, but my wife's got an iPhone, so I'll join on that so I can be part of the cult. How is he married to it? Like, how do they have different I, phones I know. in the family? They must sit there and just throw phones at each other from other ends of the room. Because all people who don't have an iPhone, anybody that's on any other platform, uh, you know, what part of them? <laughs> yeah, you know, see, so like they're the avatar of the other tech guys. That's right. right. They're the anti-globalists or yeah. whatever. Anyway, uh, yeah. So we'll figure it out. And I guess I have five invites, and I guess we use those to get our audience in there somehow. We we do some kind of like pay it forward thing. We invite you in, and then use it to invite to bring in other people of. What they're trying to do is get more Australians in there. So I'm going to deliberately give mine to Australian audiences. Okay. Just so we can keep people on our time frame as well. Okay. You I'll- know what I'm going to do? But I'm going to give mine away before this comes out. So don't contact me wanting it. Yeah. I, mine are going to be gone. Yeah, they'll be the gone time. by the time this comes out. By the time out. you're listening to this, it's gone. Yeah. So I've already started anyway. And Panos was one of the people that I sent mine to. So people like Panos and Luke Badman and from- Life with Your Dog podcast, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll send it to them because they're good guys, good conversationalists. There's other people around who, you know, like would be great assets to join that as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, look, hope to see you on there and we can chat further and have a have We'll a set up of, a weekly thing on there. Yeah, we'll and just it'll be open more, a window. Like less us talking, more other people talking, right? It'll just be in a very inclusive room where we don't have to sit there and say thank you for five minutes and then <laughs> get to the point. The whole point is is we'll share the love around a little bit more so we can get to know people in our community better. Yeah, that'd yeah. be good. One thing I really would love to try and do is new information. Not so much what's current or if there's any elaboration on what's current, but also what's new, like what's new in science or in the dog behavior and training industry or even the animal industry. You know, like if there's something that's happening that's very transformative in the landscape of animal education and behavior, I want to know about it. Mm. If you've got information like that, it's sound researched information. You share. Yeah, please. Please share it with us. Yeah. All right. Hey, that's enough on Clubhouse. I'll yep. do the wrap up of the podcast. So when I had the idea, so- I don't like telling people what to do, but I will tell you what I have chosen to do. And mm. I am really making a conscious effort to not argue with avatars. And yep. by that, I mean with the fictional idea of, of a conglomerate of people you've created in your mind. Yep. I'm happy to have real life conversations with real people. And overwhelmingly, when I do that, we've sort of meet in the middle, yep. right? And we go like, oh, that's cool. I'll take on some of your advice or uh, that's interesting, but I'm not, you know, I'm not applying any of that or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. And that's what I have been doing for a while and I'm really enjoying it. And I feel like a much better person. I feel like I'm on a, I've learned some great stuff and I've developed some great friends with which I don't have that much in common, right? Because it turns out that like, that's what makes life interesting Yep, is having Diversity. A, a large variety of people mm. within your Rolodex. Yep. And locking yourself in an echo chamber is probably has for me not being very satisfying. Mm. Having a large variety of people and the only way that I have managed to get in contact with all those people is by actual conversations with them, listening to what they have to say and, you know, not just listening with intent to reply, but listening with intent to understand. Mm. The There's more a- people that I do that with and the more people that do that for me, I think the happier and better my life has been. 
We often talk about good books to read on this podcast and one that I have recently read and I think it's a good book that anybody should just check out if they've got the time is Ego is the Enemy. Yeah. It brings you down to a level and it helps you understand how impossible your ego is sometimes and how limiting it is to new relationships and being diverse and inclusive and everything with people in life. And from a personal experience, it's something that I've have struggled with and do struggle with at times is not letting my ego get carried away. And it's something that I really try and muffle as much as I possibly can, because it does take you away from living a very fulfilled life and living a happier life. And I find that when I do stifle my ego, I do feel better about who I am, who I'm with, what I'm doing, because I don't feel like I'm competing with them. I feel like I'm including them. Mm-hmm. When I'm around people who are conscious of that as well, I see that they're they're growing, they're not shrinking because the ego basically controls you and it keeps you down. Whereas when you're liberated from that, you feel that you can move forward progressively. Mm, I agree with that. Mm. I think I try very hard to keep, you know, you can't turn off your ego completely, but I try very hard to keep my ego and my conscience congruent so yep. that they're both happy with each other. If you're an evil son of a bitch that treats good people like shit, my ego will still want me to hate you. I won't hate you. <laughs> I won't hang out with you. Yeah. But I won't hate you. I don't know that I hate anyone. No, if I don't you, hate them. I hate the behavior. I hate the behavior. I hate the behavior. You can only understand that yep. if you have it. Yeah. And so more often than not, when someone does something that you like would hate, mm. if you don't have that trait, you should be confused by it. You're like, how the fuck did that happen? I don't understand that. I know that I'm a- complicated person wrapped in an enigma (laughs) you know it's like i don't try and defend myself on that matter you know like i didn't have a great life growing up i'm a hot mess sometimes yeah it's not to say that i had any worse a life than some other people who had a confused life growing up i certainly had privilege on many accounts but i certainly had some psychological torments that you know shredded me as a child and Mm. it can't not manifest into you as an adult like Mm. you just cannot completely eradicate it without leaving some residual behind when life hands you bent tools they're the very same tools that forge and shape you as you mature like i've spent a large part of my adult life as my intelligence has grown i've spent time trying to straighten out those tools it's a difficult and complicated journey at times nonetheless it's still one that i'm happy to pursue because well, like that's I the said, point, right? That's- right. That's the point. In in order to become a better person, you have to understand where your limitations lie. Mm. And it's a personal choice and a personal discovery is thinking more about how can I be better to myself by being better to other people? What percentage of our audience do you think has realized we're slowly transitioning to a like spirituality type podcast? <laughs> a fair few because they, there have been people that have <laughs> contacted me just in, you know, like have sent me a, like a small message going, you and Pat are really getting into some <laughs> spiritual fucking. But, but it's not by accident. But it's not by accident. And I mean, I think if you're successful in your dog training journey, it's inevitable because you're interacting with another species. Like we're finding a way to communicate with them. And I confess, I don't like being ethereal. I'm not trying to manifest bullshit in my life, if that makes any sense. Mm. But. I can't avoid the spiritualism of life. Yeah. You know, I think- no matter how I've tried to reject it before in my life, but it just doesn't go well. It doesn't bode well for me. It, it's better for me when I accept that spiritualism is life, mm. you know, and it manifests within life. And when you don't fight against it and you accept it, I find that it gives you the peace that you've been longing for. Mm. I think you just can't learn everything that 
you and I and my others have learned in the pursuit of trying to train dogs and have better lives for problem dogs and all that kind of stuff. Mm. You just can't learn as much as we have without then applying that to yourself and others. Absolutely. You just can't do it. And that's what amazes me when you see people who are, you know, really nice to dogs and really fucking mean to people. And you're like, hey, man, you understand, like, you, how are you so good at trading dogs and so horrible to people? Mm. Like, how does that happen? You missed or, a point. Like, there's or, an important evolutionary step yeah. that you missed. And where, at both ends, how is it that you're so heavy-handed with dogs and so polite to people? And how is it with some people where you're like, you refuse to say no to a dog, mm. but will fucking threaten to kill me and wish my family dead online because I use a prong collar? Yeah. Like how- that, That's what, crazy, isn't it? What, like but that. it's at both ends. Mm. Like, I don't understand it. Like, yeah. it, it really amazes me because you understand the science. You, you're you in the system. Mm. Just apply it to yourself and others. Anyway, we got to wrap up. Yeah. That's it. For another episode of the Canine Paradigm. For their spiritual episode of the Canine Paradigm. One of many. <laughs> I think we crossed the line the day when we were talking about conscience and I said, you are the conscience. You don't have one. You, you are, are God. I think that's where we crossed the line. Mm. Anyway, that's it for another episode of the Canine Paradigm. As always, if you like what you hear, please like, rate, share, subscribe. Do that through whatever subscription service you download us from and then go on to another one we don't download us from and just do it in there as well. Mm. I'm doing a lot of research on this kind of stuff. It really does matter. You, yep. Your likes and your comments and all that kind of bullshit. Unfortunately, yeah, well, it really helps spread the show to others. So we need you to do it if mm. you like it. We had an Instagram account that was just floundering. Yeah, yeah, it was floundering for a while. And I said to Pat a while ago, look, I'll take it over. I've got some time to to do that at nights and stuff like that. And what I wanted to do is make it a community effort as well. Mm. So our social media is about our community. As Pat pointed out earlier in the show, there's not a lot of commenting that either we do because we are a community podcast. Mm. It's our podcast success is based on the community, like being part of the community and being very inclusive of you guys. So, yeah, we definitely want you to follow along with us and share along with other people. We're trying not to do this as vanity metrics. We're actually trying to do it so we can build the community, get out there more and, and bring more people. Do things that you guys as our community want to do, like people that you want to hear on the show. Yeah. If you want to support the show, best way to do that is share episodes with people who yes. maybe don't listen to the show. Yes. Maybe if you know someone that argues with avatars a lot, maybe send this to them. Yeah. But another way, in a money way, is Patreon. Filthy money. Hot, wet. Hot, sticky, You could give us sweaty. some of your hot- Wet, stinky, sweaty cash. cash. Yep, three dollars is what we're asking. <laughs> three, and they're dollars, not dollary dues. They're US dollars. US Although, dollars. have I seen that you can give other currencies? Yeah, there's Patreon been uh, there's give. been euro and yeah. pound and everything in there. So, um, Patreon have really opened up their yeah. their floor, and some of the things that you've been cranking out recently for three bucks to sit there and be a part of the audience member. I think it's absolute. Should we put the price up? Well, I think, <laughs> I think the value for nah. what we're doing, but I mean, let's reverse this. What we're doing is also made possible by the Patreon people yeah, because 100%. the gear that we're buying. Yeah, you guys bought the, the cameras. Yeah, you bought the cameras, the studio gear, like Patreon has supported us. And that was the whole reason behind it. Like we said, we've never made any bones about it. Like everything that Patreon gave us, we've reinvested back into the quality and production of the show and mm -hmm. what we're trying to do. So it pays all the bills. It pays all of the studio equipment. It pays the things that we're going to make additional in the future. Everything that we're trying to do and all the traction we're trying to gain, Patreon supports us. Mm -hmm. So And our sponsors, our show sponsors yeah, and our totally. Patreon. Yep. And if you want to buy me a Yeti dog bed, you could. Yep. No one would stop you. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> I just can't bring myself to buy that. It just, I want it. I just cannot bring myself to spend I, I, that much. I money bought a Yeti there. bowl the other day. For, oh, yeah, I've got the bowls. Yeah. yeah so I've, I bought a Yeti bowl and I bought Narelle and myself a Yeti canister, like yeah, a flask, yeah. uh, thermos or whatever you call it. Yeah, but, um, I love them. They're, they're amazing. Gr- amazing quality and they're they're so adaptable. And The Yeti podcast. Yeti, sh- I've been trying to get a fucking brand sponsorship deal from Yeti forever. I've yeah. got Yeti everything. Yeah. You know what I really love is the man purse, the tote bag. I love that thing. Well, Yeti, if anyone has any contacts with Yeti and they want to throw us our way, we will happily spruik your equipment every time and we'll put yeah. it all over our social media yeah. and when we get into clubhouse we'll do a 15 minute ethereal presentation on yeti and how wonderful it is yeah. and how they vibe with the universe and all the stuff i wanted the dog bowl i just couldn't bring myself to buy it and then emma murdoch gave me one did she like, yeah but i was like emma i have two dogs yeah <laughs> this is one bowl yep so i had to buy one i have to so you did you succumbed yeah i did i yeah. can't i can't help it i'll eventually buy the dog bed i just love all this stuff well i've got like five dogs and I've got one Yeti bowl. <laughs> so if anyone wants to buy me Yeti bowl, go for your life. Come on, Yeti. Fucking yeah. hell. Come on. Ad can we give? Be a fan. You know what else? Another way you could support the show? Teespring. Teespring. Mm. Yep. Get yourself some cool merch. We got the new stuff going in there. We cool got- story. Show me your dog. Yep. Cool story. Yep. Show me your dog. That's going in there. Yep. And, you know, could are we going to get cool story? Show me your dog wall tapestries. Yes. Yep. Absolutely. Have to. Tracy Mammon. Our number one tapestry expose. Yeah, so number one of one. Yeah, like she's done an expose <laughs> of the tapestry while she's been expose. milling her dogs. So, yeah, she's got she's got the wall art up and yep. she's showing it to the world. Thank you, Tracy. We love you. And just while we're talking about Tracy, who I'm a huge fan of, mm-hmm. she is hysterical. Mm. Like I love- She's a good follower on Facebook. She's a good follower. She's a- no, she's a follow. Good, she's good to follow. Oh yes, no, she's yeah, yeah, she's yeah, she's good to follow. She's a very genuine person. I love speaking to her, and she's hysterical. Like she posts these pictures of her dogs doing something while she's pulling a s- extremely funny face in the background. Like she just manages to make me laugh. Yeah, yeah. She. It's important to have those people in social media that you can count on for a like an easy laugh. Yeah. You know, when you're like scrolling through and people are like, Bill Gates is trying to fucking microchip us. <laughs> and you're like, oh, I can't take any more of this. And then you go like Katrina, one person up. Tracy. And yeah, yeah. And it's like, oh, thank you, Jason Walker. That is the meme I needed to oh, see. Oh, Jason's funny too. Right? Yeah. Like it's, it's those people that, I mean, they should be getting a dividend from Facebook. Yeah. They're what keep me there. Not you fucking anti-vaxxers. Yeah. <sighs> hey, if you want to get in touch with us, do that. Like on Facebook yep. or <laughs> Instagram. Yeah. Or we're on the gram now. Yeah. yeah. Get yeah. like bounce, bounce stuff off Glenn. Just yeah. say funny At stuff. The canine paradigm. Yeah. Uh, but if you've got actual information that we, you think we need or like want to send us a media pack about your sweet new song that you've got out. <laughs> yep. <laughs> what? Oh yes. Oh God. We should post that. Uh. We should. Anyway. Yeah. Just uh, shoot us an email. We are info at the canine paradigm.com. That's it. Goodbye. <laughs>